All right, two squads here, here, and we are joined tonight by an illustrious guest, Steve Swan. Say hello, Steve. How you doing, everybody? I don't know here. about illustrious, but how you doing? <laughs> well, I would Steve have to keeps... look up illustrious. I don't. I'm not even sure what it means, but it, it must be good. It's got a lot of syllables. <laughs> and and Steve, I keep trying to tell Steve what a I'm one of his biggest fans. Over and over and over again and, oh, I, uh, yeah, I recognize a few of those covers yep steve, steve won't have any of it so <laughs> so steve if dave wants to come over and get all of his uh general uh you know generals and annuals and stuff signed by you where where would we have to go where are you <laughs> the western edge of central kansas ah wow ah, okay yeah, I mean, you, you could get within 30 miles and still be on an interstate, but that's it. <laughs> have you lived there your whole life? No, I just moved here a couple months ago. I have, uh, throughout my life, I've lived in over 20 states. Wow, yeah, okay. Worked in 44 of them. You were in the Marines, you said, too. I was in the Marines, and uh, then I was a uh, biomedical engineer before there was such a thing. And so I traveled pretty much all over the country. Wow. Can you tell us what you did or is it secret? No, it's not a secret. I'd, uh, I worked on diagnostic instruments, the kind you see in the lab, in a medical lab. Uh, okay. when, you, when you go in and stick your arm out to get that nice little poke where they want that vacutainer of blood, that's what that was my machines they ran it on. And uh, I taught doctors, I taught operators i did a little bit of design redesign work um taught service reps and answered problems when they couldn't Ooh. when it was beyond a, uh, a normal service reps capability they would call i'd fly to wherever and Ooh. when i went in it got fixed because i could not come I, I could not leave until it was fixed that was the company rule. Wow. Hey, but you're not doing that anymore. No, I retired quite a few years ago. And how did you end up in Kansas? Was that was on purpose? Uh, well, because <laughs> of we, the Kansas gaming group, but they're on the other side, aren't they? I think. Oh, or, yeah, they're uh, five, six hours from me. Oh, OK. They're uh, I got here because it's a small country town. Yeah. Personally, I don't like anything above a thousand people. Yeah, I we're near Chicago, but I don't think Jeff and I drive downtown a lot anymore. It's just traffic, and it's kind of fun for a short visit. But I, I my college friends wanted to move there and live there, and I never wanted that. Although the benefits of being in this kind of suburb so close is we do have lots of gaming friends. So, well, yeah, that's the disadvantage of Kansas. But the, right. uh, and I know a little bit about Chicago. I used to go there quite often for company meetings. Oh, okay. And, so, and then you're, yeah, go, go ahead, ahead, Jeff. No, go ahead, Dave. Um, well, I was just going to jump into the advanced squad leader thing. Yeah. But, um, so you wrote the articles that I have read as I was a young, a wee lad growing <laughs> up. <laughs> Actually, I started this hobby out of college, so, but, you know, 
The Devil's yep, Brigade. Devil's Brigade. You know, Special Service Force. And how, what was, how did, did you gain, I assume you were an advanced squad leader player first, or a squad leader player. By the time I wrote that, team. I was. It, it started, like I said, I was in a traveling job and I needed something to do at night. Um, I'm not a big fan of going to a bar and drinking at night when I'm by myself. It's no fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, one day in a store, I saw squad leader on sale for $12. So I bought that. I've been a, hist- a military history fan since 1968 when I got back from Vietnam. Vietnam. Uh-huh. And, uh, so I, I finally found one person to play a game with. I played one game of squad leader and within a month is when they announced advanced squad leader. So I set squad leader down and ordered paratrooper like that and ordered the rule book and beyond valor. And we've been going ever since then. Okay. Are you still playing? When I can find somebody to play. I'm okay. Uh, I'm 40 miles from the nearest one. Yeah, but that's okay. It's the it's the intent and the love. Yeah. We I do a little bit of uh Vassal. Uh yeah. not a lot. I'm just learning that this year. But uh so I, I've uh done you know a fair amount. It's uh, I, I got roped into the writing and the designing by Rex Martin. Okay. I wrote my first article, Darby's Rangers. I think that was uh, volume 25 or thereabouts. Of and the general. Right? Of the general, because the scenario okay. uh, recon in force was G8, I believe. But I sent the article into Rex, and he said very simply that it wasn't finished. And I asked him what I had to do to finish it. And he said, design a scenario. And at that time, I had actually, against a face-to-face <laughs> opponent, I actually only played one scenario. Wow. And uh, so I, I designed that one, and that's probably the best one I've ever done. It is the only one, as you, if you open that general and look at it, that is the only one that he took without playtesting, without changing a thing. My, that is my original design. I can't say that about any of the rest of them I've done. <laughs> How about that? It was it just beginner's luck? It was beginner's luck, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now Rex, I, Martin, I look for unusual things. Rex Martin is a name that I, I don't recognize. I've I've only been in the <clears> for thirteen or fourteen year, <clears throat> years. So who was Rex Martin? He was the uh, general editor of the General. Okay. Hmm. And how did you know him? You said he he kind of uh, came to you and asked you for an article. Well, I just wrote the article and sent it in. Oh, I see. I, I met him when he wrote back. And then we communicated until Avalon Hill dropped it. Uh, he and I were regular participants on writing articles. Or writing yeah, stuff. Very, yeah, you're very regular. So you're the the the. Um, we'd like to probably interview Rex Martin at some point too. Although we, I don't know how involved in the advanced squad leader he was. Not as much as Greenwood and the other guys, I think. Uh, no, I mean he was an editor. He was, you know, he was the general editor. Yeah, right. Uh, right. He Mac did most of the ASL part of it. That's right, Matt, Yeah, McNamara. Yeah. Right. Um, and we did interview John Hill before he passed. I don't know if you that if you go back into our search our site, you'll be able to. 
hear us interview John Hill, which was also an honor, uh, you know. Um, yeah. So your first one was for the general then, right? Yep. And which article was that again? The Darby's Rangers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then. Um, the scenario was recon in force. Force. Yeah, that one I remember the name. I <laughs> Because in those days, we only had so many scenarios we could play. Well, it was <laughs> so, real easy because it was number eight. <laughs> yeah, goes back. And and then from there, you, you're you known for doing these. Jump to this general since you were in the Marines, the Semper Fi. Yeah. I, and uh, that came about... A, uh, from the research I did for Gung Ho. Okay, what uh, did you also work on the, the Gung Ho game? Part? Yes. Your name's in there, probably. I didn't look, but it's is it in there as a designer, did, uh, play tester? Working with Mac, I did mostly the, the infantry part. So I, I was with them on uh, the Japanese and the Marines and Chinese. I did a little bit of the French, did one scenario for the French module, um, none for the Italians, but they, they it's on and off again. <laughs> I have, sometimes my taste in scenarios was not, ex, is, is what didn't fit what they wanted, and that's okay, because I, I jump all over the place. But your articles are mo are really just a lot of um really interesting history. Well, right? yeah, that, that's what I tried to do is give on everything I wrote. I try to give a basic history. You know, it's not in, it's not detailed. It's not in depth. I wouldn't advise anybody to try to design a scenario off my history articles because they're general. And I mean, how do you cover a service for well four years of war for us or six years for Britain or uh, you can't do that in a few pages. Right. And then you had the, um, <laughs> all the tables for what kind of squads would be used in all these various articles. Right. The, the, that's what really got me started, even with Darby's Rangers, was how to make the standard countermix fit into the different military units that I'd been studying for years. Uh, yes. And it started out with just something to do while I was on the road at night, sitting in a motel room. Kept going until Avalon Hill, pretty much, you know, when they uh, sold out. So. Yeah. So, for example, like Jeff, you're you're not as familiar, right? You didn't read all these things like I did. You would break <laughs> it down into like an infantry battalion, Marine infantry battalion. And have the headquarters company with like the 10 egg two liter, the 80, uh, and then six, four, five, eight squads, and then working on down a mortar platoon, it would be comprised of four half squads and four 81 millimeter mortars and four Jeeps. And so in all that information, you would just garner from the your research and history, love of history, right? Well, that and for the Marines, I had the actual uh, tables of organization and equipment that the Marines used during World War II. Oh. Uh, and that's the reason for the five uh, or the uh, four different types of Marine squad counters. 
Okay, um, tell us more. <laughs> well, when we first did the first draft of Gung Ho had nine Marine squads, nine different ones. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, so some got, we said that's too much. Some got cut down, some got dropped. Um, and then some were combined like the five, five, eight being Raiders or Paramarines or, um, the, the, I think that was the E series TNO, uh, had the five, five, eight Marines. So, you know, that's one counter now that represents three different type of squads. Yes, right, right. But that used to be three different ones in the beginning. In the beginning. Uh, the Japanese were also different in the beginning. So it's, uh, you know, it came about through testing. Uh, he sent us sheets with drawings on them, and we cut them out and used a whole bunch of blank or extra counters and glued, did a lot of gluing, made our own counters. <laughs> And then we would test the scenarios and the counters to see how the rules worked. So was that difficult? Was that a difficult thing to do to go from that level of detail that you started with, like nine different counters for Marines, which was probably, you know, from your perspective, very satisfying because it covers, you know, a great a greater range of segmentation, which is interesting. But then you have to generalize it out a little more and a little more to make it a playable game. But is is that hard to do? Is that hard to let? It wasn't with the Marines. Okay. The Japanese were a little bit harder because when when we first started with the Japanese, they did not have the squad reduction that they have now. Oh, the flip side, reds, the stripe side, the red, yeah. Yeah, they they, uh, they broke just like regulars. Okay. Uh, we found that that didn't really work. Because uh, you you take a four four seven or a four five uh, four four eight Japanese squad that that breaks rather than reduces, and you get uh, and doing a a amphibious operation, you get six six eights and six uh, seven six eights coming in. Marines, uh, yeah. It, it wasn't really a game because <laughs> <laughs> uh, even even with the the minus that the Marines suffered getting ashore. They were still coming in, and they were coming in hard. Uh, so uh, squad reduction came into being uh, with the Japanese, and that was part of the reason why, though, because uh, we were doing, even though they didn't come out simultaneously, we did work on both of them simultaneously. Gung-ho so, and Kota Bushido. Right. Yeah. Who came up with that reduction, with the squad reduction thing? Is it? Can we I, uh, award I, that? To, to I don't just, know who did that. I, I would not be surprised if it wasn't Mac. Okay. Or it might have been John Hill at that time. You know, that was a while back here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I well, think it was a, a very good system. Yes. Yeah, I, I was, love. Yeah. I was glad to see it in the Korean module also. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, And there's a, a few other... Uh, conflicts during the 1900s that uh, could also use counters based on squad reduction. So uh, I use them for that on some of my oddities that I do. Can we ask what other conflicts you have in mind? Uh, Just any fanatical <laughs> kind of forces or? Oh, uh, I don't know if you can see that. That's a list. 
Oh my goodness! A little closer. Oh yeah. And that's not complete. That's just what I could remember. Go ahead and read. Can you read a little of it off for us? Well, yeah. There's the uh, we also have a SAS in uh, Holland. That was in 1945, 44, 45. Uh, I got uh, some Bougainville stuff coming out. That'll be with Bounding Fire. Uh, dispatches from the bunker uses my scenarios. LFT 15, which is coming out uh, next spring. Uh, next spring, early summer, is got a lot of my work in that one. Wow. Um, uh, <laughs> I got military trains. I got the Rift War in Morocco in the 1920s, as well as the uh, Chaco War in South America. And the Rift is where you would see squad reduction because the Moroccans fighting the French and the Spanish there, they kept coming. And the use of swordsmen, so it's using the grenadier, grenadier, uh, grenadier counter from uh, Korea for swordsmen, slight modification of the rules, otherwise it still works. But uh, those Moroccans, they kept coming. You shoot yeah. them, they just kept coming. <clears throat> uh, it simulates very well. Um, I've messed around a little bit with World War I. Uh, everybody worries about it because of being in Europe. They took the trench warfare with the massive amount of gas and the artillery. But the rest of the world didn't have trench warfare. Right. East Africa uh, was more like a savanna type uh, land, but it was, they were on horses. It was a mobile warfare. Uh, West Africa, it was jungle. So you got the French and the British uh, fighting Germans in the jungle. Something that hadn't been published yet, but it, it's in my list. Uh, the Mexican War, the U.S.-Mexican War in the 19-teens. Yes, yeah. Pershing. That was, again, cavalry. That was horses. It was a mobile war. Uh, using the, not not the real fancy, high-powered fancy squads, but using the lesser ones and just saying there is no conscripts. They're just, they have regular movement. Um, allows that to, to come into being. Spanish Civil War. Um, I got a... And I think I think I, I don't know if I told you or not the military trains, armored trains. Um, that's actually in testing at the moment. The rules. That, the yeah, I, I really like a lot of the Russian Civil War stuff historically, and I'm trying to get a more of a grip on what that was all about, how that went down, and listening to uh, some podcasts and some reading, and of course those. Armored trains are always like, it's always like, what movie was that? Dr. Zivago or, you know, a couple of them, I'm sure. Yep. You know, you always see that train and you're like, oh, we need that in some, in some games, squad leader games. Well, it's it's uh, amazing. I was told when I first started it that there just wouldn't be that much use for them. But I have 24 scenarios already. <laughs> wow. That uses trains, one of which has train versus train. <laughs> as well as infantry and tanks and guns uh so it, it's been developed out um working with carl on west java uh, a campaign game there it started out as a scenario but we looked at it or he looked at it we found a uh, guy who's retired from the army who knows a little bit about that stuff 
he can get access to information I can't. And so we're doing that one now. Um, wow, Transmibor so in Russia, the Spanish Blue Division. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a, that's a campaign game. Um, I've done India versus Pakistan, which is in the 1940s. The British fought in Vietnam in 1945 to 1946, uh, which a lot of people don't know. And then the French went in in 1946 until 1954, uh, which we watched both of those and didn't learn a thing about it. So we went too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, uh, sometimes we just don't listen to what's real. But yeah. I've done uh, the Falkland War in 1980s and the Marine invasion of Grenada in 1982, I believe it was. I've gotten scenarios on those. So, there's a lot. If, if you go on the internet and Google uh, small wars from 1900 to 1945, you will find about 200 of them. Wow. All over the world. And that includes a lot of them. Uh, after we defeated the Japanese, the Dutch came back in. They wanted to reclaim their colonies. So there was those yeah. fighting. The French did the same thing in Vietnam, Cyan. Uh, Thailand fought the French in World War II. Um, as well as fighting the Japan. There's all kinds of stuff out there um, that I look at because I uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not against anybody else. I just I'm not a fan of Stalingrad, the bulge or Normandy. <laughs> yeah, uh, everybody's doing those. Right. And so there have been and I wish I had done a little more research. I went through all these old magazines and was mostly, um, of course, finding your articles about each. Well, what, what, what do you call them? There's a word for these that you used to write with the history. Um, but all the different armies, right? The French, the. Um, and the specialty, all the specialty troops in the other nations. But then when you're talking about these scenarios, I know I've played a lot and they always get my interest going when it's like in a Malaysia and it's these two other forces that you normally don't see. There are quite a few of them published, not not a not a large amount, but have you published a lot of those already with this, all those kinds of forces that I find them? And it's like, oh, look, this is from a different year, not in World War II. This looks really cool. I've uh, you done some, some of those, and you're going to see a lot more. LFT-15. Okay. The first scenario on LFT-15 is 1918. It's uh, okay. U.S. cavalry versus the American Indians. And and that's and, oh, wow, cool, <laughs> cool. I'm I'm all in. I, I'm I'm not one of those World War II purists for this for this system in this game. I'm all in, but. Now that's coming up still, LL15, right? They're doing they're like right. that's printing the next it now. I think it's I think I thought I read somewhere that it's getting ready for be coming out soon. Uh um, 14 is out. That's the Italian one. Yes, uh, I have that one, yeah. And uh 15 is dealing mostly with arid terrain. It'll have eight maps. Uh all of them arid. They can they can be used in conjunction with existing desert maps. Uh, they'll have the same color scheme, uh, but a lot of the areas that uh, 
they cut you know with the with the desert a lot of people don't like to play because it's just flat plain boards but there's a lot of the desert area that had brush had shrub it had uh what i would call miniature trees mm. uh the chaco was one of them east africa had bushes brush was as tall as a man or higher uh so you'd have so you're going to see that uh, but we i sent that out to a designers around the world and we have uh tw- last time i looked i think it was 22 scenarios that goes from 1918 to 1944 and they deal with africa Aleutians, china um, spain uh, with multiple nationalities it's not a there's not a national theme or a war theme for the pack it's it's whatever the designers when i sent the boards out whatever the designers wanted to pick they could pick the nationalities they picked the terrain the theater the era i didn't care so you're going to see some japanese chinese and chinese chinese uh italian germans americans british it's it's going to be a mixture that's fantastic Very it's, good. A, it's pretty exciting you must it sounds like i'd venture to say you're busier than you ever have been well it's, it's a little bit easier when you retire yeah, yeah. i guess so yeah <laughs> and you you've worked with uh heat of battle a lot is that also true from the past i did i worked um Bernie. i tried uh, Steve Deppleson. Steve Deppleson was the creator of that. Uh, yeah. Actually, after Avalon Hill went out, MMP, you know, they started picking up some of it. I was with uh, Critical Hit for an extremely short period of time. We had some differences in, in opinions on ethics with Ray and I, so I took a hike. Uh, then I went to Heat of Battle, and we did some of those Recon by Fire magazines. Oh, okay. Um, and there, I, my article switched over. I think the Romanians is the big one in that one. Um, and but that uh, when Steve had a, a type of job that he traveled back and forth around the country a lot, and he moved a lot, so it, it's kind of all intents and purposes, it's kind of gone. I know he still has some stock for anybody who wants to order it, but it might take a little while for him to get to the order. But it's because he travels. He's in a high travel job. Uh, but after that, I went with Charles um, Smith and I both left Heat of Battle. Charles started uh, Bounding Fire. And I did stuff with him for a while. And I still do because uh, he's working on one of my campaign games now. That uh, after the what comes, Operation Neptune is coming out next, and I believe I'm I'm either next or one of the two next. Will it be a project that'll be Bougainville in the Pacific. Uh, there's quite a few. Uh, uh, Pittman did several scenarios on Bougainville, but he used the U.S. Army history. These are the Marines at Bougainville. Yeah. So, okay. uh, same theater, different forces, 
which makes for a little bit different in, in uh, the scenario design. And then I essentially do for anybody right now. I know uh, I'm working with Carl on the Spanish Civil War in the West Java, as well as the scenario pack. Broken Ground is doing a scenario pack. Bounding Fire has got a CG. Um, another campaign game is being done by LFT, or will be. It's in the product line, or in the production line, I guess what I'm trying to say. Um, and some others, which I can't think of right off the top of my head. I'd have to. Yeah, well, I noticed on ASL Archive, you've got a ASL for fun, four scenarios covering the opening day of Korea. Right, that was all on that first day. Uh, yeah. Wow. How, how many total have you kept track of how many scenarios you've, you've been made or got, you know? Um, it would have to be close to 500. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I don't It's just, you know, and I was just impressed again with the TO and E's and the charts and the histories, which all these magazines are. I mean, now I was, you did the Marines. Right. And did, did you cover the British? I could, couldn't find it when I was looking through uh, my magazine. British Airborne. Air, and, uh, Air. I did the uh, Pegasus Bridge scenario with that, which everybody said they couldn't win it with it, but it was because they were using the wrong tactic. Oh, do you want to <laughs> share the tactic with us, or do you remember it enough to... Use them smoke grenades. Okay, yeah, it's usually... British, something. The, the, the pillbox is, is surrounded by an open road. You can't survive that. Okay. Against a machine gun, a German machine gun. Um, everybody... But you throw the, you fill those hexes with smoke, they can get in there. And that actually that is a bad design in a way because it's dependent on a particular type of attack. And the fact that you got to roll away to, from that. And you got to right. roll to have those hand grenades too, which right. is an issue. Even even with an exponent of five, there's still or four or five, there's still no guarantee. And uh, I try to stay away from the one time one way only scenarios now uh, uh it is winnable but i understand what they were trying to say yeah okay uh, uh most players want one where they can choose to go right flank left flank up the middle whatever they want and i try to do that uh most of the time i'm uh working on one now <laughs> at uh for cursed and it's a it's a upfront in your face immediate combat with armor and infantry and all kinds of stuff all at, all at one time uh you know it, it doesn't the order you bring your troops on will make a difference okay but, uh, so because you got uh, you got an anti-tank ditch that runs eight hexes out of the 10 across the board and you got AP and AT mines for the other two. So you got to clear the mines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is good. I do like the variety of those di different ones where you do have to take certain actions like that, you know, clearing things and I don't well, break I, out I, those rules enough, you know? Yeah. I, I found a uh, study done, done by uh, the U S army 
and it the whole book was on how the Germans got through the minefields at Kursk. Ordinarily, I'm not uh, it wasn't interested in Kursk because I'm not a big armor fan. I'm more infantry. That's what I was, and that's what I did. Uh, but I I saw this one. And I said this looks good. Uh, the new map works well with it. And so I'm going with it, and we're going to see how it works out. It, it might turn me off a curse forever. <laughs> <laughs> if, if it's a flop, but right now it's being evaluated by uh, Don Petros. And he's pretty good. Oh, yeah. Wait, where is he with? He's with uh, LFT? No. Well, uh, Don does a lot of the original map designs for yeah, MMP. The, yeah, the maps. Right, right, right. And Charlie Kibler, is he still around, you know, doing yes, that? Yes, he still does artwork for MMP. Um, Tom Rapetti does a lot of mine. Uh, thankfully, we get along well because I give him a lot. I've got, uh, uh, he's already done a uh, map and overlays for the railroad module. Like I said, it's in preliminary testing at, at the moment. Uh, and that's the hardest part. Now, I think that's the hardest part we need designer now because there's so many people getting into third party market. Yeah. Um, finding play testers is tough. Unless yeah. you have your own group already, it could be really hard. Uh, especially for like me, I have one uh, campaign that's already done. It's a mic, what I call a micro campaign. It's Finns and Russians fighting over an island, and it's a historical map island. So everything comes in by boat. All your reinforcements come in by boat, which means there's boat-to-boat -boat combat, too. Wow. <laughs> and I've got the basic information for a second one, but they will have, they have historical maps. And that brings in gunboats, which a lot of people, after a raid on St. Nazaire, that LFT did, a lot of people still say they don't want to try gunboats. I think uh, if you if you leave out a lot of those fancy rules that was in there, like uh, uh, a boat, a small boat uh, shooting torpedoes at each other and stuff, just get rid of that and just have the guns, then basically yeah. you got a tank on water. That was the um, LFT operation chariot what i got it yep. right over operation chariot yeah. yeah i still have not opened i mean i boy when i picked that one up i was like oh this is so cool and i showed it to several guys well, hey let's break this out and then we still have not gotten to it um with all the other product but um yeah i thought that looked fascinating and then i guess the um operation veritable is that the one that has the flooded areas around yes. the yeah, so I remember that was doing in the low some, countries in Northwest Europe. Yeah, doing some ducks and and things like that. A lot of troops moving on on watercraft, but I don't remember boat to boat fighting. <laughs> <You know. laughs> well, uh, the only place you could see it in a small scale is the uh, special forces pack I did with HOB, the Kustenhagers. Okay, yeah, I don't come have with that. a couple small boats. I simplified the boat rules to make them where they were playable. Uh, that that's one of the things I'm having, I've had a hard time with is sometimes 
you know, you get people to suggest and advise and work with on these different projects. Some of them get too detailed. Well, I had reality in Vietnam. I don't need reality. What I mm. want is a fun game. Mm. And uh, that's one reason I like working with LFT because uh, Xavier Vitry, the uh, editor of LFT, is the same way. He is more important to have fun than it is to have balance. And I, uh, we, we think a lot alike. And of course, it might help that he was a French Marine too. So who knows? We have the same military type background. He's an mm -hmm. officer and I was enlisted, but outside of that. Could I ask if um, your opinion about like, I know when I was younger and I was not in, in Vietnam, um, but that having a game about it didn't seem as appropriate to me. Do you have an issue with that kind of concept about gaming a, a war that's too current or too close to somebody or? Yes. Okay. I, I spent 30 something years with PTSD and flashbacks and things uh, from Vietnam till I finally, uh, with the help of a doctor, got that solved. Oh, well, but good. Vietnam, I won't touch. Up, <clears throat> I, I will with the British and the French in Vietnam. That's <clears throat> up until 1954. Okay. After that, uh, U.S. and Vietnam, no. And I'll do stuff afterwards, like uh, the, the Granada and the Falklands War in the 1980s. That's okay, too. Um, as far as doing Iraq, Iran, uh, not, yeah, Iran, uh, Afghanistan yeah, yeah. now, uh, it's, to me, the technology of modern war now takes the fun out of the game. Uh, you look at those tanks, if it's a hit, it's a kill. With modern tanks, with the modern anti-tank missiles, the type of missiles that are man-packed now, you, they could they could give every marine, every soldier, marine, their very own anti-tank missile if they want to. Either wire-guided or heat-sensitive. Yeah, I, I do remember my friend uh, Jim McDermott, early guy that we played a lot of ASL. But he, when the one of the Desert Storm broke out, uh, he had seen footage and where the some guards are around in Iraq around a power station. And he said, you know, Dave, all they just heard a noise. They looked up in the sky and then the station just blew up behind them. And it was yeah. like, they didn't even, I mean, what could they possibly do? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, yeah, obviously the technology would change the kind of concepts and that you would have. Um, and then too, I would always think maybe those things are too recent, but I guess that's just a matter of personal choice. But. Well, it, it, they are, uh, to me, they're too recent for a game. They are lessons that our combat leaders nowadays still need to study and learn, because that's yeah. the war that they're going to have to fight if we have, to, if we, uh, by some strange chance, get into another war. Because um, you, you got to realize we have lost every war since World War One too. We stalemated it in Korea. I guess you could say that's not a loss. But well, that yeah, when I taught <laughs> that in the, I taught that in middle school. That would be a question I would ask at the end of teaching it: is what the students? These are just eighth grade kids, but I believe I could get them somewhat hooked into the material and to seriously think about it. Was what? What do you want to call it? A draw or whatever? And I always talked about. Well, you need to know what your 
goal was going in, and if the goal was to keep the South free, was that accomplished? And the answer was yes, you know. Uh, of course, then when they went north and toward China, and then, well, was that suddenly the goal, or was that just a... That was MacArthur's ego. That's why I always... I didn't want to ever say anything quite different <laughs> to the kids. But. Well, I, I, have, uh, I have a very low tolerance for stupid generals. Well. Sorry if I insult anybody that's going to be watching this. Um, <laughs> but he was told that the Chinese warned him not to come to the Yahoo. And he went yeah. anyway because he did not believe it. It's yeah. just like in, uh, in hubris, the early part right? of World War II when he sent American troops into New Guinea. He said tanks cannot work in the jungle. So he sent just infantry in. Well, oh. the Australians taught him that tanks do work in the jungle. Mm. And then he used it afterwards. But how many men had to die while he got over his ego problem? I don't know. Um, I didn't realize that about New Guinea either. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah, I think it's the I think it was the thirty uh, second, thirty second or thirty fourth infantry division, but they basically went in against the Gona mission, uh, and Buna, without tanks. They did it towards the end of it. They finally got some tanks up there. Uh, but when they first sent the first sent the infantry in. They went in infantry. That was it. It's uh, so my, my little bit. <laughs> if I'm prejudiced against something, that's pretty much it. Stupidity that costs lives. I do not care for that, and and I'll. I don't care if anybody knows my opinion or not on that one. Yeah. Well, yeah. I had a friend. Uh, my pastor um, was older, and he would come to my classroom and speak. He was also in Vietnam. Uh, Marine and uh, yeah, he he had a similar similar story from about a just a guy leading the I don't know if it was the squad level or the next level up, but about making bad choices and how that can cost people. Um, he he was great to have him come speak um to the kids, but um so then if when go looking at these articles again, oh Japanese um, airborne. <laughs> yeah, did, yeah. I, no, I noticed this is the one I reread yesterday because I couldn't reread them all to prepare for the interview. That's but, uh, what. What's the title of that article, Dave? That's the Airborne Samurai reference notes. Oh, that's the titles you always use, Stephen. Right? Reference notes for ASL. Yeah. That would be the articles, not just you know that he did with the historical background, and then all the uh, tables of organization, and so you ended up. Well, I was going to ask in the beginning, you're talking about how challenging it is to find information and it how was there was tough. conflicting information. Yeah. What What do you think was the, some of the most difficult things to research? If you can Actually, remember the, all the articles. The organization and the equipment, because the Japanese had very few units that were all identical. They would, mm. they might call something a, a parachute battalion. And actually, they're called their paratroopers. They called them raiders. Um, you could have five different raider battalions, and they would each have a different organization. So the organization in that magazine is basically a generic average um, for that. And that also applied to their armor units, their base units, uh, their naval base units, their army. 
they had, I think, A, B, and C type divisions, uh, which basically determined the amount of support the infantry had. Uh, but the, it's like uh, some units had 16-man squads, which in ASL world would be about two squad counters. Yeah. To be one squad. Right. So you per, uh, for a four-squad platoon, you'd have to double it. You'd have eight squads for a single platoon. But what you notice on those articles, I tried to stay at the battalion level and down because the standard counter mix is a little bit less than a regiment. Okay. If you took uh, uh, like the, the 26. 26 squads, right? Uh, each Squads type. of whatever. Uh, you basically got yourself a battalion there. And it, so I, I tried to stay, I figured that ASL uh, with the map boards and the scale that we was using, that I, try, I all my table organizations tried to stay at a battalion or less, because that's what you would use most. You know, I, you know, I might verbally talk about the division or the regiments, but the tables themselves were usually battalions or companies. Yeah. Wow. And then what? What? What other ones were difficult to research? <laughs> the guns for Axis miners. Oh. I did uh, I did the gun research ordinance. Uh, at the end of my research, I had over 300 different guns. Was that in the uh, Armies of Oblivion or? Right. When that came, okay, wow. And that was, uh, and, and they, uh, MMP and I agreed, you know, 300 guns at six counters per <laughs> gun. Where are, you gonna, where are you gonna put the infantry in that box? Yeah. So uh, then I had to go back and compare all the guns where I was looking for ASL equivalent, where one gun counter could represent three or four different type of uh, different nationality guns. And that's where you see the, where it says common ordinance. That's basically where everything right. was compacted down into one counter uh, because it was just, and Given the number of scenarios being done for Axis miners, all those counters would never have gotten used. A lot of them would never have gotten used. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. And that's another thing I look for when I'm reading or researching. Is it use a counter that hasn't I haven't seen used before? If it does, then I will probably try to design something around it. Because if if the counter's there, use it. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of things I would like to see a little more of. Um, and they're not that difficult to incorporate. You know, you just check the notes on the vehicle or on the gun, and it's usually some very simple things if they're different in any way. And, and the you know, the rules follow the same setup form. It's not like they have their own set of rules that they would use. Well, some do, like the Goliath, the German Goliath. Well, yeah, <laughs> and I, I, lo I love those, but man. <laughs> well, that uh, that's in my curse scenario. <laughs> the Goliath and the Ferdinands together. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I don't know how that's going to work out because I just I just did that earlier this week and uh, we haven't had a chance to test it yet. So we'll find out if it's okay. If it don't work, then it'll get scrapped. You know, because I. 
I'd say I've probably scrapped somewhere between 10 and 20% of what I come up with because I just can't make it work. Yeah. And if it can't work to where it's fun, then I don't use it. And sometimes I just design to base, uh, somebody will ask me for a design or they'll tell me what battle, what era or something like that. And then that's what I go looking for. So where do you find your play testers for all this? Actually, I don't. I send them to the uh, editors and it's their job. Okay. Okay. Because that uh, out in the middle of Kansas, there ain't anything. Uh, I, like I said, I do a little bit of vassal, uh, but usually it's uh, not the heavy armor type. I'm not heavy in the armor to begin with, but uh, I'll try any of the infantry games on the vassal. I just wonder if there's enough awareness out there among the common players that there's a there's a need for play testers. Well, I know it's been mentioned several times on the forum, on the Game Squad. Okay. Um, and I've put in a call. Generally, the testers I get are the ones who are like me. They're looking for the oddities. Yeah. Like I can find I can find testers for armored trains. Uh, <laughs> But uh, for one of my infantry, armor, artillery scenarios, that's up for grabs. I may or may not. Uh, sometimes I do. Most of the times I don't. And it is unfortunate. Uh, in lieu of that, I do proofreading a lot of times for other people. Because uh, I look at it from my slanted viewpoint, uh, <laughs> which... Sometimes it'll it'll reveal something that un, you normally wouldn't even think about. It just pops up. Yeah. That I, the way I look at something. Not always, but sometimes. And and, and you know, the, the the goal of a designer is where there's no question. They can sit down, read the SSR, set it up, and play it without question. And that can be tough in the human language especially now that we have so many people from overseas that play this, where English is not their first language. Right. Uh, so the, I'm, I'm getting to where I'm trying to describe things simpler and simpler and more simpler. Uh, you can go too far that way. I did with armored trains. The first set of rules was too detailed. It had people switching tracks and all kinds of other stuff. Um, that was too detailed. It took the fun out of the game. So I wrote simple rules, and then they I got told by those same proofers that it was too simple. Mm. So I yeah, redid them again. Yeah, I guess if it's just like the train has an armor factor and a gun, and that's that simple, that it's kind of like, well, what's the point of having the trains? We want to have something that's unique about them, you know, right, to differentiate them. Well, they're and, all... Uh, Big they to, Dave, they have to stay on the track, right? Well, things like that, it has to be in the rules. Yeah, right? well, I wrote the rules based on a, a train car, an artillery car on a train is a tank with limited mobility because mm -hmm. it can only go where the track is. So, the turrets yes. and the guns are they're using the same exact rules as the tanks. The, the car, though, I mean, a, a train car is big 
So now it's like on the LSI uh, landing craft counter, it's got the little red dot down at the, bot the bottom to show that it's two red armor factors and the red dot showing that it's very easy to hit the body, but it's got two turrets on there. So one turret hit is just one gun gone. You know, uh, the Russian trains put the T-34 turrets on their armored cars. Uh, the Polish had two turrets, then uh, they were staggered vertically so that one could shoot over the other one. So mm -hmm. one of them had a 270 degree field of fire. Mm -hmm. The other one had 360 degree field of fire. And some of the, and, and they're sitting at level one. So even on a flat land oh. board, the turrets are at level one. So they can see over the grain. Yeah. Um, so there is going to be some difference because of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that makes it <laughs> makes it unique and fun and captures the flavor of that. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, I just did a a counter for somebody else on on a Russian artillery train, and it's got four seventy six L's on it. Four. There, yeah, uh, two cars of two guns each. Uh, like I said, they're staggered. Yeah. Elevation. Um, both, all four guns have a rate of fire at one. So uh, it's, it's not going to be real easy to go up against a train, but you can because the rules are written uh, such that they burn. Just like anything <laughs> else, they burn. Remember, the bottom part of that car is loaded with ammunition. I was going to yeah. say, probably they don't have a limited as much limited ammo stuff if they got all the space in the truck. My recommendation it was, is that no, no ammo limit. Yeah. Only limited by date. Yeah. You know, if they production. didn't have it in 43, they didn't have it in 43, tank or train. But if they did have it, then a railroad car, I mean, you've, you've seen them go out to railroad tracks and look at them. They're big. They can carry a lot of ammo, more than needed for an ASL. Oh, uh, time sure. frame. <clears throat> uh, so, as far as I'm concerned, the, the, what ammo they have is unlimited. Now, historically, were the were a lot of the trains destroyed in in combat, or I really don't know much about it. Yeah, me neither. Locomotive See, mostly. Kill the locomotive. Everything behind it. Oh, you stop top. it. Yeah, right. There were right. Uh, quite a few cases where the locomotive went out. Uh, yeah, the rest of the train was abandoned. <clears throat> the Germans captured those cars, especially on the Polish trains, and repainted them in German colors and used them okay. on German trains. <laughs> uh, but um, so, uh, and, and there's Japanese trains. They use those in Manchuria and uh, Manchuko or whatever. Yeah, yeah, man, man, Manchuko, yeah. I'm not very good at languages, and I'm even worse with English, so. Well, I use the dictionary would, a lot. <laughs> my biggest embarrassing story was when I was teaching Vietnam and I had only been reading material and learning everything from reading and then teaching that. Well, when you're only reading it, you're only, you're you know, you're not hearing the pronunciations of all these things. Yeah. And I forget I mispronounced a city name and I had and this girl, Vietnamese girl, immigrant student in my classroom, started laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I said, 
what are you laughing about? <laughs> and she goes, no, Mr. Kleinschmidt, it's pronounced this. And she would say it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. I need you to help me during this whole unit, make sure I'm doing some decent pronunciations, you know, of yeah. these words, of these city names and things, because I want to be a good teacher, you know. But again, when you only hear it, you're not, you're not. I mean, read it. You're not here. You know, you're just it, guessing. It can be hard. Um, <clears throat> Marines use a lot of slang, so we mixed French and Vietnamese and Japanese and English and Piglin English all together in our language over there. Huh. Uh, wow. <laughs> if so, yeah, buku and yeah, got to be good. Lots of it. <laughs> uh, you know. But uh, well, it sounds like you've got just boatloads of different material, new material that you're working on. Have you got other like long term plans for particular actions that you can't wait to get your teeth into? Uh, the Warsaw Ghetto and Narva. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the map for Warsaw is being worked on already, and it's huge. Uh, you're going to see a lot of interesting units in that one. Because the uh, the Germans to put down the the rebellion, they just they grab whatever units they could find from wherever. And in my mind, that means that you'd have to use that Allied leadership rule even between German units. Okay. But uh, I don't know how you could duplicate that since the counters are all the same color without markings. Uh, that was one thing I liked about the uh, Korean module that LFT did, where they had the uh, two different type of units of Marines with yellow dots and red dots, even though I understand some of the red dots didn't get uh, printed right. But uh, I've, I've done that before. I did that in Stalingrad. Is that yep. in this game? Yep. Okay, I haven't, haven't opened this one yet either, <laughs> other than well, a quick look, you know. <laughs> You'll find that there's two battalion of Marines in there. And you can tell the difference because one of them's going to have yellow dots. Uh, to show because the, the Marines going into Seoul did follow the battalion borders. One came in on the right, one came in on the left. Uh, and don't mix the squads if you're going to play the campaign game. Okay. But and and I like that idea. I I did that way back in Red Barricades. Uh, you know, one box of Beyond Valor wasn't enough counters. Yep, there you go. I see this missing the red dots though. I think so, but there's yellow, and then there's not then yellow. Just, yeah. So that would work, I guess. Yeah, it, it, as long as you can distinguish the two battalions. Yeah. Because and that's really all you're going to see on that game is two battalions. Um, are, but it was supposed to have red dots on one battalion and yellow dots on the other battalion. And then with the regular Marine counters, you would have had three battalions, each easily identifiable. Oh, right. Well, I could get out my little highlighter and. Little I put red dots on my Russians when I played red barricades. Because oh, I played with somebody else and we had to have use his and my oh. counter mix for red barricades. So I, all of my Russians had red dots. Oh, their resale value is all going down. <laughs> <laughs> well, you well, modify. That's all. Yeah. You know, um, 
we are already getting on toward an hour. Hard to believe. We really, I feel we should have had three separate interviews with you, Steve. One just about these reference notes. You've done so many of all these magazines I have out here. And another one just on scenario designing and stuff. And then another one just on your gaming background. But if I could jump back to your gaming background, if you live in so many states, did you have a lot of did you hit all these different gaming groups over the years that are um you know meet a lot of the famous people or i've been to the Oktoberfest a couple of times i've been to texas team tournament went to one in atlanta uh it was scattered based upon at the time i was working based upon my uh work mainly because since i worked with medical equipment that's diagnostic equipment when it went down, they didn't want to hear an excuse about why I couldn't be there. Oh, right. Yeah. And then, um, did you play with like the different um, actual clubs that, that are around? I like played the so in clubs and individuals. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, my, my favorite is Texas Team Tournament. I like that one. That's a, uh, Rick does a really good job of running that. And, you can sit back if you can keep your mind off. If you want to take your mind off the game, you can watch war movies. He plays them 24-7. <laughs> There's some playing on the big screen on the wall all the time. Uh, and it's a good it's a good group of guys. And, and there's a, uh, a lot of them there do want, then they will try something new. My Calvary versus Indian scenario was played there. And not a single person that played it's... Uh, had anything bad to say about it. Everyone of them thought it was fun. It's small. It was, uh, it is a set time for tournament scenarios there, but this one was small enough they could play between. If they finished one game early before, while they were sitting around, they could get this in. Cause it's only uh, five or six turn and there's less than 10 counters per side. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it's on one of the new, uh, arid boards and that, probably added a little bit to it, you yeah. know, uh, something new. Uh, so I'm, I was very satisfied with that. And then I was very happy that it's the leading scenario for the LFT 15. Cool, indeed. That's something kind of nice. Too. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, your, you... your wife probably saw more of you when you were working than uh, now that you've got all of this. <laughs> retired well yeah, she, she's oh, yeah. back yonder in the other room because <laughs> now that i'm retired i'm in the laundry room that's where i set up my <laughs> asl design table went and got me one of these six foot tables and i got stuff scattered all over it yeah uh, and technically you're working from home so that well you get to I'm see retired, her a lot so you know yeah. i mean the best thing i use is this um, yeah uh, for designing, it's one of the quickest references when you have to look up something, especially if it has to do with infantry, which most of mine do. Um, so I was I was very happy with that. I got the latest one. I got version twos and version ones. And um, because I do design, I've been fortunate in that Xavier he gives me one free, uh, so I didn't have to order from overseas and wait for the slow boat to get through the COVID uh, to get yeah. here. And uh, I use it 
just about every time I design something, I, I use something in that because it's handy. It's quick, easy, simple. It, it's very handy for play too. And of course, and uh, uh, my opponent, Dave Timonen, has the second edition. I have the third. And so he was, he said to me just this last week, he said, all right, Dave, get buy me an, a, a third edition. I'll pay you because I want to be on the same page that you are when you're flipping <laughs> through. Well, so, all right, we'll, we'll get one. Maybe has, Ritter uh, will donate to help support the show. Yeah, the, the two LFT pages on the SWAD nationality pages uh, has counters that are not in use yet, but they are the, the scenarios and the campaign that's going to use them is in the production line. Oh uh, yeah, on the yeah on the um, infantry tables in the yeah. version three, right? There is something that I haven't seen before. Yeah, you got Spanish uh, blue division there. You also yeah, have five three seven French. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the core blank, which is was a you could you call it a French commando unit. But it was a 1939-40 unit, mm. and they were especially trained, which you did not see on MMP's system. Even though they did, they were there during the German invasion of France, and they did uh, take part in the action. Um, I was uh, very happy to see that included. And of course, LFT expanded the Italians too. Did you help with that, or did they do that on their own? No, that was the Italian ASL club that did all that. Okay. Okay. They, uh, you know, like the Finns, they did they did their stuff, and the Swedes did the Swedish pack. Well, the yeah. Italians did the LFT fourteen, which is something I like. I I like the international flavor. Yeah. Um, I think one of the reasons uh that the game is growing is because through LFT and BFP and some of the others, uh, overseas designers are being accepted, even though they have a different design philosophy than we do, which is why most of them are in third party packs. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, cause, uh, MMP has and, and nothing wrong with it. They got a standard that you can pretty much figure all the modules and everything they do is going to fit into that standard. Um, I have submitted a couple of things for them, but, uh, you know, usually as scenarios for like the Spanish Civil War module, some of the scenarios are mine. Uh, but uh, most of my work is outside of their box. You know, so I'm an out of the box thinker, I guess. For the lack I think of a so. Term. That's think, a and, I'm, and I'm glad you are. I'm very yeah. glad you are. Yeah. It makes are the whole lucky. thing a lot more fun. I just love it when I find a scenario that's like, again, 1920 something in in Malaysia. And I'm like, oh, I think I heard about this. There's a, some <laughs> communist thing going on, you know, that I remember reading about once. And now there's a scenario. So, well, maybe I'll send Chaco War to you. Yeah. South yeah. America. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> It'd be a playtest pack. <laughs> you might get us to do a little bit. I, I, you know, we, of course, we did. Uh, Dave and I did the fins, and then we did a little bit for our friend John in Finland, Canada. 
you guys are already Great. doing uh, a lot with this podcast. You know, because it's, it's spreading words, it's getting information out. Um, so I, I think you're doing quite well. Well, thank you. Yeah, and thanks. I guess we're going to wrap it up here. And but really, we want to thank you <laughs> for all your work that you have done and your service, of course, and um, just everything. Just been a a wonderful interview and i we are really looking forward to a lot of those things you're working on yeah well that's... i hope to get them out before i die <laughs> i am getting a little way up there yeah. well, I, was... I was running vacuum tubes i'm a, i'm up there a little ways <laughs> <laughs> i was going to say we we are too and then i thought people would take it as we were just hoping you'd live long enough to make the games for us <laughs> but of course we are too just hoping you have long life on its on its own for for its sake its own sake yes please yes please. well i'm trying not just for the game's sake <laughs> so all right well thank you Stephen. it's been marvelous jeff you got any just, last things or no just really it's, it's been great talking to you and it's uh it, this kind of stuff always gets me very enthusiastic about going back through some of those uh some of the old generals and annuals and stuff like that and going through those articles again that's what i'm going to be doing tonight so thanks well, there's to... uh, all the generals are on uh, view from the trenches yeah he's pretty good with that site too it's yeah, yeah. I've, I've done stuff for him too come yeah. to think of it now <laughs> yeah. so there's, all right there's very few places i haven't seen something it's, yeah it sounds like it yeah oh. well thank thanks. you so much for your time steve thanks a lot thank steve. you Great appreciate you it and talking to you. be good bye well, bye-bye. <laughs>